0: Alright, well welcome everybody to another episode of Safeonomics. I'm uh, Scott Cuthbert, uh, CEO and co-founder of
1: Safepedia, and I'm Gabe Carnashan, Vice President of BBL Safety.
0: And uh we're we're super excited today. We've got uh Dorothy Revere and Scott Coleman with us from Bartavon, and uh, certainly can't wait to uh to get into the topic today with them revolutionizing workplace safety, the power of tech-enabled safety culture. So uh, before we get into the questions, we'll just maybe give Dorothy and, and Scott a minute to do a quick intro.
2: Yeah, so I'm excited to be here. I'm Dorothy Revere. I'm the Chief Clinical Officer of Bardevon Prevention and Recovery and a physical therapist by training, um, as Scott will be as well. And A little bit about Bardevon and Prevention and Recovery, we take a holistic approach to the worker from both how do you prevent the injuries that they might have? And then if they've got an injury, we have an entire network of therapy providers that we can help them through the recovery process, both in person and at home, um, through a quality lens and then get them back to work.
3: Thanks, Dorothy. Um, And thanks, Scott and Gabe, for, um, for asking us to be involved today. Mm -hmm. It's really exciting. Uh, So my name's Scott Coleman. I'm a sports physical therapist, who for 15 years focused primarily on the biomechanics of sports with an injury prevention lens. So um, working with sports where contact isn't the main source of injury, like you know football and hockey and sports, mostly Olympic sports, where if the training and competition demands match the individual's capacity to withstand those demands, they don't get injured. And obviously with the accent, I'm from Australia, and in Australia we don't have the depth of talent that the usa has where if we do get a world-class athlete we can't break them and so that's why this process has evolved in australia most of the research has come from there and i've been involved heavily in the the use of data analysis in injury prevention for these olympic sports Um, and at the core of it is wearable technology because to quantify the training and competition demands you've got to measure the movements of the athlete And so for, yeah, 15 years, we refined that process. And then my mother sustained an injury working as a nurse and her Mm -hmm. injury prevention program was a safe lifting manual that she had read six, seven, eight years prior. So she developed bad habits and she injured herself and it was a avoidable injury. and, And I realized that the technology we were using for athletes could easily be used in the workplace to provide workers with feedback when they start developing bad habits to, to develop mm. engaging training content. So, I got a government grant in Australia we built um, over six years using the feedback from the main stakeholders being the workers, the safety industry and the employers. And we built a a product that was addressing the needs of of those main stakeholders. And then we collaborated with Badavan over a year and a half ago. We met and our values were aligned. It was the first real partner we'd come across where the focus was the quality of life of the worker. And very quickly, um, our product became part of the Badavan suite. And and now here I am based in the U.S. working with an incredible company to protect U.S. workers from avoidable injuries. Mm. Is that the biggest, is that the longest intro you've ever had? (laughs) (laughs) Because I I do, I I go off on tangents and I tell stories. So I do apologize if it's too long.
2: What I would say is for us, the recovery side, I treated injured workers for 10 years Mm -hmm. of what I did. So I would always see what was the product of what happened once the worker sustained the injury? What did they deal with? How hard was it? for them Mm -hmm. to have their, not just themselves, they go through something, their family goes through it too. And we were really looking to add the right technology into what we did to prevent the injuries from happening and complete the platform. And so that's, you know, when I met Scott, the first time I was like, I had looked at probably 30 different technologies at that point in time. And generally it was equivocally a no, Based on either the technology or, as Scott said, the the alignment of values, and it was very different in talking to Scott and his technology from the very beginning. Mm. Cool. Well, i
1: I like the uh, I like the comparison to to athletes. I mean, you figure that the um the people that are are out there working and literally using their bodies to that that's what they do to make a living. And so, just like a high-performing athlete is doing the same thing that—that that is their—that's their passion, that's their job. Uh, looking at how workers can take care of themselves in the same way as an athlete is—it's it, a great perspective to have that. Um, also, I, I know that you're both physical therapists that are they're in here, so I'm going to try to sit up straight and yeah. uh, and not crack my knuckles as I'm uh-huh. doing this because I've heard that terrifies physical therapists when that happens.
2: <laughs> I don't know if it terrifies uh, us as much as the people who are sitting in front of us with the bad posture. node that we noticing that we know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's <right>. exactly. <laughs>
0: well, that, that's a uh, that that's been my negative experience with with COVID and zoom and being on camera more often than not is, is realizing that, you know, as a volleyball player, I've got a sloping shoulder on one side and I'm always <laughs> trying to straighten it, but I can't quite get it straight. Um, and, and, and Scott, I want to thank you for mentioning hockey in the intro. I, I, as a Canadian, I appreciate, uh, you know, the Australians <laughs> showing, uh, <clears throat> showing our national sports and love, but, uh, today today we're talking about the the power of tech enabled safety cultures and and uh, obviously the, with the intro <clears throat> injury prevention and and wearables and 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 technology so when when you guys are working with a customer or potentially a prospective customer um how do you go in and determine whether their the workplace has has the the proper safety culture a good safety culture one that's going to mesh with with your approach
3: Dorothy, do you want me to jump in with this one? You yeah. jump in, yep. Yeah, so for the last six years, we've found that if they are interested in an innovative safety approach in the first place, then that's a pretty clear sign that they have a good safety culture because they're thinking outside the box. So the most organisations we've found over the years who have a poor safety culture, they're the way, and we've been introduced to them usually by their, their insurance carrier or by an external party, They're the ones who'll say, okay, well, we'll do this to tick a box or Mm -hmm. there's a compliance component we need to do. So we'll do our minimum for the compliance component, but that's it. And they'll only do it because they have to. If they've reached out to us, then that's a clear sign that they are looking to go above and beyond to use innovative new approaches, uh, especially an approach that's been used by professional athletes because they know that'll engage the workers most blue collar workers, we know that they love their sport. And so, as soon as you promote a program that's along the lines of this is the same process that your sporting heroes use on the weekend,
2: mm-hmm.
3: your employer is now offering this, the opportunity for you to use the same injury prevention process, then straight away, that's a pretty good indicator that the safety culture for that organization is really good. When an insurer, when an insurance carrier has said to us we've got this really bad performing company over here we will pay for your program to be implemented there alarm bells are already ringing because straight away it's like if there's a lot of claims it might be a bad culture if this is being forced on them or offered for free by their insurance carrier so they're not embracing it they'll do it because the insurers told them to they're the ones where usually the results are pretty telling and and um, it's something more deep-seated that's the problem.
2: Yep. And the thing that I always think about is sometimes when we, if they reach out to us, we know that they're interested. But a lot of times the word culture is something that people kind of throw around, but what, is it, what does it really actually mean? And so part of what we've really put a lot of thought into, and Scott and his team have done a great job of, is that we make sure that we extend that by teaching individuals what that actually means as we're bringing in the technology. You know, most people will say, "Oh, we have a culture that's like a family." I don't you know, you shouldn't because families can have really interesting dynamics. Right. You know, whereas <laughs> really what we try to help them understand is what your culture is isn't necessarily what you say, but it's have you what are the behaviors that are actually happening within your workplace? So if they say, well, we want to have a culture of being on time, but everybody starts five minutes late every day, then you don't have a culture of being on time. You have a culture of being late. And sometimes it's understanding what that looks like, but knowing that the culture is the behaviors, then our job, when we come in with the technology, is to ensure that we take what behaviors that we know we want to emulate with the workers, that they feel open in understanding that we're not gonna track them throughout the facility and that this is really a benefit for them. And we take that and we teach them the behaviors that they're going to get or that they will hopefully continue to do by using the technology. This is for you. If you already have a culture where they encourage you to talk about things that are unsafe about the environment and to let them know, this is another way that that information will make its way to the actual safety professionals and therefore it's just a part of how it fits into the existing culture sometimes it's a way for us to begin to actually advance the safety culture for that particular employer too which is great
1: yeah I was so what i like that... about that <laughs> oh go ahead scott go for it now follow yes.
0: up well and, and maybe we're asking the same thing but i love that uh, love that uh answer dorothy and and wondering i think the the next question is and you sort of touched on it is is it sounds like you can assess the culture or get a a handle on the culture and and without trying to make dramatic changes make incremental changes to even move that culture forward so you're not just emulating what exists today but you're you're maybe uh incentivizing or or you know taking those baby steps to move them forward as well is that what you're saying
2: yeah yeah and you know that's one of the things that by taking that consultative approach that this is not just sensor technology that your employer has chosen to bring to you put it on individuals and see you later we're out that's and that's maybe a business model that some people have done we find that going in and saying let us help you help the workers understand how it benefits them and the sports analogies that Scott brings in, we put in the information itself for that purpose so that they can start off with the right way to envision the technology and why it might be something that they are interested in all the way to how do I help the safety pros understand what information is coming in and how to actually talk to people if they perhaps see someone who is maybe experiencing a high load on their body well, if the safety person goes over there and says, I saw that this was really high, what were you doing wrong? Well, that's, that is the example of what you don't want to do. So we can say, hey, how about this is how you go approach that person. And then by virtue of doing that, we're walking by both individuals, whether I'm the person receiving the sensors or the person that's going to be maybe having the interactions with people after the sensors have been worn. And through both of those, we're beginning to change the culture. And those can become something that continues to evolve over time. And I know Scott has a lot of stories. So I'm going to see if he has a story that kind of brings my point forward. And I apologize if everybody just heard that big thunder. Sorry about that.
1: <laughs> well, there was something I wanted to bring up too. And I think you're you're touching on this a little bit, Dorothy, and, and Scott, I'd love to hear your, your point on this as well, is that i know a lot of this whenever you introduce any sort of technology into a company uh, data is a big deal it's going to churn out a lot of information all the and all the stuff but if you don't have the the culture that's already in place that is going to to use information i don't care if it comes from a spreadsheet or from a higher level of technology if you can't actually process the information and make changes on it. And that's not baked into the culture already. The way I tell people about it is, well, instead of not knowing how far you're, how much you're bleeding, now you get to just watch yourself bleed out. You're not actually (laughs) doing anything about it. So how do you do that when you come to somebody with a technology solution and now they're getting flooded with so much more information than they had in the past how do you help them to actually make good decisions based on that to change that culture, like what you were talking about?
3: Yeah, slowly. One word answer to that one: slowly. <laughs> because, That's cool. I, I like but, that. But, but we learned that, and I learned that in sports. Yeah, uh, there's a, in sports uh, injury prevention. There's a term called paralysis by analysis, where mm-hmm. you look too much into too much detail, and you get in overwhelmed, and then you start focusing on things that aren't important. And so that's a lot of how this program has evolved to this point. So it's been a six-year journey to this point. And we learned very early on that the key to success is not overwhelming anyone, not overwhelming the worker, not overwhelming the safety professional. And a big part of that is us, I wouldn't say hand-holding, but us almost coaching the team along the way. And I can say every single client that's using the technology is different. And you can't have a cookie-cutter approach. And I know there are some technologies. And to be honest, when we started, we had this vision of being this technology where the sensors get shipped out, the company goes into the dashboard and looks at the data, and everything runs perfectly, and we do nothing. We just charge for the subscription every quarter, and that's it. But then we realized that that doesn't work because every company is different. Every injury risk is different. Every worker is different. So we actually do a lot more service-based components to the subscriptions now and we do exactly what you said we don't overwhelm them we say here are the priorities how can we address those priorities will this work and it's a collaborative approach very slowly because we know as you said you can't if the culture is hard to change overwhelming them with too much information is not going to do it little bit at a time is the way it's done one location first Then you go to another location, one or two tasks, changing, modifying tasks, changing the technique that they're doing it, um, and then gradually improving over time.
2: Hmm. The one thing that I would add that I think is also very interesting about the data piece is we also have to understand that we're beginning to introduce into kind of the actual employer environment. It's not just that it's more data; it's also movement data. This is Hmm. it's a new type of data that many people have never seen before so you know i just did a talk um, at a safety conference where one of the things i want really wanted three points to kind of come out to the realization for the safety people who are in the room which is one i've been a part of movement analysis my whole life that's what i've spent over 23 years learning and data can pick up things that i can't even pick up with the training so if we think that we Truly can understand all the nuances, especially when you're talking about movement prevention. Now you're talking about picking up movements that it's harder. It's hard for the highest trained people to pick up those types of movement anomalies. The second thing is in the environment for safety pros, this is new data to them, but it's not new data. That's where the athletics comes in. They've been using that for over a decade in the United States to help them make decisions so if those two things are true then partnering with a company who can help you make with the data that's easy even if it's something you've never seen before even if it's new to you as a safety professional can we simplify it enough to scott's point to t- just take one step at a time because every it's new to everyone it's also new to the workers who are beginning to understand their own movement patterns mm. i don't know like i I always say to people, do you know how you move? <laughs> because I think that people don't necessarily have a great idea of even their own movement patterns. So it's new data even to the workers themselves. So we have to keep breaking it down and making it simple because this is new to everyone.
0: Right. And I taking a total uh total left turn I, I it made me think of the Xbox Connect, you know, when you're doing the dance, dance, you know, and I'm like, I'm totally doing those dance moves. I don't know why it's not picking them up, but obviously I I think I'm moving Um, one way and the computer says I am not moving in that same way than I think I am. So
3: I I played that game once and my kids videoed me (laughs) on their phone. And when I looked back, I... I was the most embarrassed I'd been in a long time. I thought, I thought I was nailing it, you know, yeah. John Travolta, Saturday Night Fever style. I was killing it. And it looked like I was having a fit. <laughs> so I was very quickly removed from any access to that game ever again. So, so the, the,
1: it, this does bring up kind of something interesting it, that, um, you know, we're, maybe we're not aware of how we move and do things. And I, I learned this when I was when I was running cross country when I was in high school, that even just looking at how how my shoes would wear down, and that it wasn't it wasn't uniform even between the left and the right foot, it was different. And my coach walking me through, okay, this is why it does this. This is how your legs are moving. Change your form slightly in this area, and then you can actually run more efficiently and do better that way. Uh, Do you see that with, with workers? Are they, is that one of the challenges that you run into is that they're maybe just not even aware of how they're doing this thing. They just know there's a task that needs to be done and they do it. And they're not even aware that, that they're moving in a certain way that's, that's causing this problem. And how do you address that?
3: 100%. And they, and Dorothy mentioned a story, I've got a million stories, but this is one that's really relevant to what you were saying there. We had one client who they had a, a female in a warehouse, a distribution warehouse who had back pain, really bad back pain. And they put it down to a lot of the bending and lifting and carrying. And she was six foot four. She was a, a tall, um, long leg lady. And she when, when she started wearing the sensors, her back scores weren't actually that high, but <coughs> her leg high impact. So the, the sensor on the back that we use actually measures vertical impact using the same research used in jumping sports so there's thresholds if you get a a basketball team a volleyball team they've got thresholds and if athletes are landing with too much impact vertical impact that's a red flag saying the sports medicine team need to work with them to absorb the shock because that jarring force they need to work Mm -hmm. to absorb the shock when they land and so we use the same parameters same algorithm in our data and it was her Vertical impacts were huge. Well, they were three times more than any other worker in that site. And as we went and spent some time with her, she was overstriding hugely. Like every step, there was, and that was that impact. It was the heel strike every step. And we know big people who overstride, that impact goes through the legs into their pelvis and causes back pain. So all we simply did was say, hey, we're not going to change your lifting techniques, but we are going to ask you to shorten your strides a bit. And her back pain went away. So a lot of the time the data can highlight things that you wouldn't have even thought of. And that's where a simple, and not only making a simple change and the problem's fixed, making a simple change and then re-measuring to see how that change has changed the data and then correlating that with the pain, if there is pain or symptoms, and that's the key. So like you say, small changes in technique can be identified through the data and then um, then changed and remeasured.
2: And I think Scott brings up something really important, which is that even when you are attempting to try to solve the problem, because you believe whether you're the person that's performing the work, and in this case, that person was making an adjustment on their own to try to be safer, right? They were trying to not necessarily overuse their back. They had created another problem that they were completely unaware of. So the same thing could be said for if I'm the safety professional and I go in And I think, oh, I'm watching and I've been trained to um, say, oh, I don't want someone to bend over too far because that could lead to a back injury. So I'm going to introduce a change. And then I do that. I don't even know what the impact of that was on that person's human body. But that's one of the things that the sensors can do. It's not just, are you aware of the movements that you have? But there's the ultimate opportunity of if we make a change, can we also measure what impact that had? Which... You start to see with the technology, especially sensor technology related to movement, the ability for how it can be used can be very vast and open up a brand new view of how do you do safety for the humans when most of the safety, when you think about it from a very traditional standpoint, has been on the work. How do you make sure that the work is not hazardous for the humans? How, and this is very different. It's, you should do that, by the way, we're advocating that people do that. It's also, but how do you make sure that the work is also not hazardous for the humans themselves through the movements that you have them take?
0: Right. Well, I think I love Scott's example and and Dorothy, I think you're answering the, you know, the question I'm going to ask, but just a little bit more pointed is that um, like we know we have at least two or three listeners who are probably going to listen to the podcast. Our moms listen. To <laughs> and and uh, hopefully for the, for the most part, they're safety professionals. Mm-hmm. And so you, you talked a little bit about how, how insurance companies might in- introduce you to, to their customers. Um, but for the safety professionals that might be listening, if, if they're wanting to introduce uh, on you know to their organization um <clears throat> and and position it obviously for for success how do they how do and again it's I understand vast applications and mm-hmm. diff- different scenarios and different Industries but how would they go about starting that conversation what would be the kind of the the value proposition that they could they could lead with to to start to get that executive management buy-in
2: yeah well I'm going to so Scott is on all of the calls that we have with individuals. So I'm going to let him handle the start of that one. And then I'll, I have some thoughts, but because he is a part of it every day, Scott, I'm turning this one over to you.
3: Yeah. And uh, it goes back to when I started this journey, Uh, you know, I'd spend time with safety professionals who would say, I'll go to a work site and I'll walk around and I'll see someone doing something with poor technique and I'll go and spend time with them. And that's a real hit and miss approach, and especially work sites where there's thousands of thousands of workers. There's no way they're going to actually see the high risk workers at that moment when they're doing something that's high risk. And so I sort of posed the question. I said, "Well, what if you had a sen- had sensors that could measure all of the workers' movements, and then you could sit behind a computer and see which ones, not just when you're looking at them, are doing something bad." But if you can see the data for an eight-hour shift or five shifts, if you can see a full week's worth of data for a worker, you can sit there and you can actually say, well, these are the five workers I need to go and spend time with because Mm. they are clearly the outliers in the data. So that was actually where a big part of our product came from was satisfying the needs of the safety professional to make their job easier, but to make their efforts much more targeted. And the same way that a sport – and again, I'm, this isn't my idea because this is what professional sporting teams do. Every athlete, all their data is collected. And the sports medicine team sit there behind the dashboard and they can see exactly which athletes are veering outside certain parameters. And they're the ones that are and saying, hey, you, you're coming in and you'll get treatment on X, Y, and Z because your data is veering in that way that is heading towards a hamstring injury because we've seen decades of research saying that these variables will – inevitably result in this outcome so we've just taken that uh, that problem faced by the safety professionals and addressed it and that's how we engage them so if we're speaking to someone new we just say look we know your situation it's hard for you to try to identify which individual workers which tasks have the highest risks so Mm -hmm. we built this to help you identify that and that's that's how we actually engage the safety professional from day one
2: and that's where I knew Scott was gonna gonna take the individual safety people who are listening. I consider that the kind of bottom up approach. I would say I'm also seeing in the the different types of um, conferences that we've been a part of, uh, both under the work comp side, but then also the safety conferences recently. There's also this very interesting dynamic of this top down pressure that's really happening at this point with employers that maybe they're beginning to give safety pros goals to try to help them solve some of the problems that they're seeing. And now safety pros are saying, well, what else is out there to help solve the problem? And as an example, you know, when we were looking at the data in the, in the U S, They expect that the commercial health rates are going to go up by 7% in 2024. That is a big jump. And, And if we think under the work comp umbrella that the costs are, you know, hard for employers to, you know, really absorb, the commercial health costs are more than that, by a long shot, actually, typically. And they are being faced with really interesting component. Many of the employers, and again, speaking on the U.S. side, they have they still can't get enough people to come in the door. So employers are noticing that the rate of private health costs are going to go up, but they are making decisions by and large not to actually, you know, put that cost down to the employer and to the employees. They're not going to bear more of that cost burden because if they do that, then they could lose employees that they desperately need or, they could make it, it could be more difficult because the the benefits packages now, when people have options to go different places, if one is not making them bear the brunt of the cost and one is, I'm going to go to the one that's not going to, to make me bear the brunt of the cost. So there's choice on the employee side. And then you also have the increase that everybody has in terms of pay for every employee that they have. So now they have inflation and that's inflation that they're dealing with. And keep in mind, because work comp costs are actually the way that you come across the indemnity wages that get paid out during a time frame when a person has an injury. That's based on the wages that the person earns, which have gone up, which means their work comp costs are going up. So if I'm the employer, I have to try to think of a way to entice people to come work for me because I have to pay them more. And I'm I'm investing more in each person and I need them to see taking care of their bodies as a benefit to them so that they'll come work for me over someone else. At the same time, I have to keep them on the job and really optimize their work safety because every time that person is out, it's costing me and not having the person there and in the fact that they're out. So I feel like there's this entire dynamic that employers are dealing with that now they're bringing to the safety pros that they're being asked to solve very different problems maybe than they have in the past. Hmm.
1: What, what I like about that too, and and uh, just a full disclosure in a prior life, I was a financial analyst at a health insurance company. So my eyes kind of twitching a little bit with some of the, uh, the uh, terminology <laughs> you were using. But uh, what's interesting about that approach, uh, the, the, the top down one, is that you're putting safety into the terminology that the C-suite understands. Yes, they have profitability; they have to hit. They're looking at the PL. They they know that there are are expenses that are hitting, and now they're trying to figure out how do we actually mitigate this. Now, unless you have a really powerful friend in uh, legislation, you're really not going to change. The, uh, the health insurance laws or anything of that sort. So how do you minimize that with, uh, with some of your operations costs? And what's interesting about what you're saying is that the, um, you're now connecting things that probably safety professionals had not connected in the past. So now you're looking at productivity rates and then injury rates and the types of injuries and how do you adapt uh, the way that the workers are doing the work, maybe in ways that they haven't even looked at in the past, and it doesn't have to just come from, let's say, new types of PPE or new types of, um, of you know, we see everything from, from exoskeletons to all this other random stuff. And it's like, those are great, but what are the small changes that can happen? And when you're able to tie those changes to specific dollars, now you've got the C-Suite's attention. That's really mm-hmm. fascinating.
2: Yeah, well, and it's interesting that you say that because that is the team that i now lead which is the value creation team so one of the things that we strategically did in addition to what scott outlined which was instead of you know just giving people the sensors we now have individuals on our teams that can walk alongside help them make decisions extend the reach for safety teams who maybe are small and have hundreds of employees that they're in charge of we did that and then the other thing that we did is say you know we have to help the safety professionals who are not just responsible for putting this technology in place but maybe they're responsible for proving out to their cfo to the c-suite what the value of that actual implementation looks like and how to compare if they're trying out different types of technology one compared to the other Uh, and so that's why we created the value creation team whose job it is to actually offer to analyze the data on their behalf, offer to put together um, information for them that they can share, teach them how to actually say, you know, say that to or provide those reports upward. If they want us to be a part of the meetings to explain it from our perspective, we can, because that's as much a part of the change and the new way that people would put technology in place as anything else is how do you explain the impact of it to people who are making financial decisions, and we felt like that the safety individuals, even if they understood the data and loved it, maybe not had the didn't have the time to put into it, which is why we added that arm to our organization.
0: So you'll help. Organ, you'll help the safety professional articulate the value to the organization. Correct.
2: If, yeah, and we created a um, ROI calculator that based off of market industry information to give them a sense of what is possible even before they put it in place.
0: Right. Oh well, that's fantastic. That's awesome. I was going to I was going to ask um <clears throat> my my experience is more in the kind of industrial construction space where you've got a <clears throat> an owner and you know general contractors and subcontractors working uh working uh all on on a, on a project and and of course the owner typically will set out sort of injury uh expectations right or or the lost time injury you know or injury frequency rates those sorts of things and then expect the general contractor and subcontractors to to adhere to those and, and so there's been a lot of conversation and I think it's moving in the right direction to say hey like instead of penalizing us for injuries let's look at them and understand how to prevent them in the future and instead of pushing them kind of under underground let's let's surface them and and address them so ha- have you seen any change kind of across the industry as far as if if uh you have a customer using using your system collecting that data sharing that with stakeholders outside of their organization to to to, to make bigger bigger changes than just uh yeah one at a time
3: es- Go ahead, especially Scott. in contracting as far as labor hire in particular not so much construction where you've got skilled workers coming in as an entity to do a particular part of a job but when you've got labor hire companies that are providing labor hire for your warehouses and logistics and and those sort of and manufacturing um that's where the our partners the way our the, the companies the employers that are using the technology they say to these labor hire companies if your workers are going to come here, there is the option to use this technology. Here are the reasons. Here's the data that we've got behind it. Here is what those individual workers will get out of it. We're not going to force you to use it, but it is an option for your workers. So we'll provide them with all the onboarding and the extra information and the workers can decide. And every single time those labour hire companies have said, this is great. Yes, we we actually, you're protecting our workers so we're going to embrace this and they encourage it. And not once have there, has there ever been any sort of suspicion or pushback or um, or anything along those lines. So it is getting to the point, like you say, where the, the collaborative approach um, of, of using innovative injury prevention techniques does get embraced by the contractors and the external parties.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's also helping them understand anytime that you think about safety and scott you might scott um not scott coleman how do you say your last name scott uh, cuthbert. cuthbert okay If from a safety professional's perspective typically it's the safety's there so that you can decrease the injury rate but it's really important that we go back around to this is for the workers so if you talk to a union if you talk to someone else this it's very different than a lot of the other safety applications, and the, and PPE has to be worn. Yes, it's for the workers, but it's also to very much prevent the injury. And what's so interesting about this is this is here, yes, to prevent the injury, but it's there to help improve the movement before the injury is even a possibility, hopefully, mm. which it's so it's it's almost so far up the stream that when, then when you're talking to union workers who are their fiduciary responsibility for example is that to provide a safe work environment and fair pay and everything else for the union that the members so that's something that's a very different conversation then it becomes cumbersome for my people to do xyz with safety gear for example um, or something else. And so when you're having the conversation, it is just enough different than the other safety type of conversations that it's it's easier to really relate to, you know, the contractor or the subcontractor or the the unions who we've had conversations with, other individuals. Um, and then don't get me started if 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 Gabe, you are on the insurance side. I'm very much on the, I would really like your risk and your HR and your safety to work together. So, because it really does benefit all of them as well. Um, and you really can make that collaboration something very different through this technology than maybe has been easily discernible in the past. Like, I don't think people can easily see the link between some of these other things, but this one. People can definitely hopefully see the link between. Mm. So it, it it kind of goes in a lot of different directions.
1: No, oh, this is this is fascinating too because looking at it from a from even a financial analysis uh, analyst perspective, um, that was what I did a lot. And I still do this to this day, where it's it's taking information that maybe doesn't look connected at first, and then you start to see all the crossover and realizing that if different people were using it. You actually get results that are far greater than what you would have had if it was just siloed in, let's say, just in safety or just in HR. Um, so that's that is really exciting to me. That's one of the things that that really got Scott and me started on this this podcast is looking at the business applications of safety and maybe other areas where it safety actually touches the business, mm-hmm. but we haven't explored it in the past. So with that in mind, and you, you brought up a lot of different functional areas that are all working together and all the different ways that you said it could, um, that this technology could be used. Let's fast forward to, let's say 10 years from now, 15 years from now, how do you see technology like this from Bardevon being implemented in, in work, um, in a workplace? And, and how is it going to be utilized by multiple areas of, of a company? What, is that, what does that perfect world look like when, when all this data is being collected, implemented, and and
2: run? Yeah, well, so I'll start here in that we were dreaming about this just yesterday in my office and drawing things up kind of on the wall. The first thing, and, and you're starting to see people, by the way, at these same conferences begin to talk about this and and have some elements of this put in place. But in my mind, in the future, you actually if you're going to be doing some type of manual labor job when you're interviewing for the job you're going to be putting on some type of vr headset that's going to take you through the actual job themselves in some way and and maybe there we have the sensors on and we're understanding the movements and the that people are taking and that then it becomes a part of the actual hiring process hmm. that then becomes now you're using the sensors during training, so that you understand how you move, you understand um, how you then, before you get out on the floor and increase what you're doing, you're trained in the proper movement patterns that you can own when you go on the job site before you ever get there. And by mm-hmm. the way, when you get on the job site, the sensors have been used to optimize the work itself for the humans. So if they're making decisions on design of the actual workplace setup or the tools that are being used, the sensors have been a part of that process so that from the design elements, I'm not talking about really, you know, changing everything, like the small things that can be changed that actually take in consideration how people will be moving and engaging with the work will have already been optimized. And then the training that you go through, you get reports on how you've done with your movement safety that day that then can help you tomorrow. So do people that you're working with. And then if you've got something going on, people are engaging and helping you before you have an injury. But if you've got an injury, that information is fed to your physician to your physical therapist. They're using the sensors there so that they can help you get back to work. And it's a part of the return to work process, whether you're coming back from a work injury, you are coming back using it through the actual um, light duty to full duty return to work process, or maybe you've just come back from a life event, like a woman having a child, and you're using it to help you optimize, now that you've had a big change in your body, What's going on so that you can keep yourself safe? That's the future that I see and safety professionals engaging and leading the way of design of buildings all the way through the hiring, all the way through the process of the employee's life cycle. That's a big future, by the way. So, That's pretty incredible.
3: Yeah. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually going to tell a completely different vision, which is more, <laughs> on, the, more on the the cool tech side. <laughs> because um, there was... Uh, Smart fabrics is going to be hmm. the well. As soon as the smart fabrics become a lot more cost effective, I see rather than you know the worker putting a sensor on their collar and wrapping a band around their arm, it'll be the shirt that will have the sensors built in. And the reason why I believe this is because I've already seen some some rugby jerseys were developed whereby if you you're wearing the your fan your your favorite player's jersey. And if you're watching a particular game, and this has actually been trialed, it's a smart jersey so that if you're watching the game and your player gets a big tackle, you get a jolt in the jersey. There's electrodes in the jersey and it actually it's teed up to the game. And so they know when that player or when that player passes, you get this and it, it, it's, it's integrated into the game, this smart fabric technology. It's amazing. And so, not that I'm saying that when a worker bends the wrong way, they'll get a jolt from the shirt that they're wearing. But I do think that... (laughs) Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) (laughs) I do think that we'll get to the point where a worker won't have to put sensors on at the beginning Mm -hmm. of their shift. They'll arrive. There'll be a little chip in the bottom of their shirt. They'll scan the chip when they arrive. And away they go and their measurements and everything. And, I mean, as much as measuring heart rate and exertion and temperature, is really valuable. At the moment, there's worker pushback from that, obviously, because it can be a sign of exertion and workers don't want their manager to know how hard they are or aren't working. Um, but I think that is the future. Smart smart fabrics, smart shirts that will um, provide all of that extra information and make the whole wearable technology piece a lot easier for the worker, but provide more valuable data.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, and you guys touched on it earlier. Um, and the we we the first podcast actually episode that we did was with Corey Pitzer, and he's sort of a world-renowned safety culture guru. and his his theory is that um safety as a as a department is is going to kind of evaporate into operations, uh, be absorbed either in operations or or in HR, kind of like the quality. When uh, when we first started talking about quality control or, or quality management, it was sort of its own thing, and now it's been sort of built into the whole operations process. And so, in, in my mind, I always struggled with, um, you know, how, how is how is safety going to just become you know part of an operational discipline? But I think what what you guys are talking about today makes it really <clears throat> obvious. How how safety can become much, much more integrated in the operational process from the from the, the, the physical procedures <laughs> plus plus the financial metrics and, and even maybe the the performance metrics that that operations is currently m- measured by and, and safety is kind of sitting sitting outside of. So um if, if I
2: love that. And it's, it's 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 moving, and I would think that the safety professionals would want that because if you as a safety professional are tasked with keeping things safe, but aren't a part of how things are set up, you're not a part of, you know, who gets hired for the jobs and things like that, then you're, it's much like when I say the injury happens and then at some point they're going to end up in physical therapy and, and we are treating them. There's a lot that's happened beforehand. And so it can make our job easier or much harder to rehab that person to get him back to work. That's my analogy to safety is all these decisions maybe have been made. And then your job comes in where you have to make it a safe environment. I think what we're proposing is that it's integral to the operations and moving it upstream to be a, a part of something and, and really having a say in how that is set up or at least along with others, other people in the operations environment so that now it's something that's from the beginning all the way through rather than coming in after other decisions have already been made. And if I were a safety professional, I would see that as very exciting.
1: One of the things that I like that you've both said in this, and that I, I feel like I, I've had conversations with safety professionals in the past, that whenever new technology is introduced, there's this concern that are we going to actually just, are, are, are we putting safety professionals out of, the, out of a job? is this going to just drive them out of uh, that kind of thing and what what you've proposed is that it's it's actually the exact opposite it sounds like the safety professional is actually going to be elevated in their position they will have more face time with the with the c suite it become the, the function becomes more critical to the success of the organization to the health of the workers uh, and that's that's a pretty incredible future but looking at today what are some of the skills that you think safety professionals should be developing now so that as this technology becomes adopted, as it becomes more mainstream and comes online, that they are prepared to really become that asset for their organizations
3: going forward. I'll, I'll jump in first. Go ahead. I, I think that the only, and I'll keep it short because from what I've seen, the different types of personalities in safety, the key is being, open to using data to support decisions. So for the innovation that I've seen where there's been pushback from safety professionals, it's because, and a lot of it's ergonomists in particular, Mm. it's always the, the older ergonomists who for decades, the focus has been their observation and opinion. And so their observation and opinion has been the core of reports and assessments and all that sort of thing. And so rather than saying, great, here's a tool, that can validate my observation and opinion using data, there's a lot more pushback saying, no, 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 we don't need that because I've already got the skills to be able to do what needs to be done. And that's the biggest component I think for safety professionals is being open to the fact that the data can validate their position and their opinion and their role rather than be a threat.
2: And I would add, I 100% agree that Scott has the, the, that's the very first thing the only thing that I would add to is even if I think confidence, being having the confidence mm-hmm. that they can do it. And I was in a conversation yesterday, and with someone who had had a lot of conversations with safety professionals, and they a lot of times they're like, "Well, this is new data. I'm used to doing it this way. It's comfortable doing it this way. Could I adapt to new technologies, new ways of thinking about things?" And I think there was a great analogy proposed, which was, and I'm, we're all dating ourselves if we all recognize this, who remembers the first cell phone that was this like huge, big, chunky thing? Oh, I and, remember that thing. <laughs> right? Like I remember, I remember that. And I didn't have one. And I don't remember us ever having one. We still had the landlines, but it was there. And now it has adapted to where it's a computer in your pocket. And society, and, and my mom, who is 83 Can send me gifts. Like she has learned how to actually go all the way from never even a concept of a cell phone to being able to use what is essentially a computer in your pocket that continues to advance every day. And so, the other thing that I think safety professionals have to really have is the confidence that no matter how long they've been in the safety profession, no matter how many years they've done it, they can learn this too, and it's going to be fine.
0: Yeah, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I love that analogy because, yeah, my my mom's 86 the other day and uh, maybe not quite as advanced as, as your mom, Dorothy, but she's on her, <laughs> on her cell phone and sending text messages and right. she knows when the emails aren't arriving properly and that somebody needs to give her a hand, right? So I think, you know, one of the things, a theme that's run through m- most of the episodes is that. Technology is not going to replace safety professionals, but safety professionals who know how to leverage and utilize technology to improve proof safety programs will replace the safety professionals that, that don't, right? So, um, and I, I think that, uh, and Gabe and I have seen it as well, it's a great opportunity for career advancement as well. If you're that progressive uh, early adopter <clears throat> from a safety professional, then you're going to be a definitely a wanted uh, commodity in the, in the future um, that, that you guys talked about earlier. So um, just as we're wrapping up, um, was there any, any questions that we didn't ask that, that you want to maybe share, um, you know, uh, before we, before we turn things
2: off here? I don't think so. I think I really appreciate the time you guys have been great to talk to. Um, and I love that you are delving into this topic and really helping people see from you know i love podcasts i listen to too many of them actually uh and it is something that i think for people who are just maybe beginning to learn about this topic and maybe want to understand it and haven't yet made a decision the one thing that i would say is of every conference that i've been at this year technology in the workplace has been a beyond ai which is the other thing but technology in the workplace and AI are the two themes that are in every safety pres- uh, conference mm-hmm. that I've been to. They're also in your work comp conferences, your risk conferences, and your actuarial insurance conferences. So this is not going away. It's just beginning to really pick up steam. And so I just would encourage the listeners to. At least get involved and begin to understand it if they've been avoiding it up to this point, because it is coming, whether they want it to come or not. It is everywhere right now.
1: That's so wild. I, I love it. That that's that's such a fascinating uh, view of not just the the distant future, but like the very very near future and even the present this is this is happening right now so if if our if our audience wants to connect with the two of you or learn more about bardavon how do they go about doing that
2: so they can go to our website obviously which is this www.bardavon.com um, and the way that they reach out to us directly is um, first initial last name so mine's d revere at bardavon.com and scott's is S. Coleman at bardavon.com um, so we certainly encourage anyone to reach out or they can find us on LinkedIn. Um, we're there as well. Or bartavon actually posts prolifically on many sites, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Find us, send us a message where we would love to talk to you.
1: Fantastic.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. I uh, thought it was a great, great conversation and uh, definitely look forward to having you back in the in the future.
2: Thank you so much. That's we nice. enjoyed it.
0: We'll, we'll yeah, be fun. wearing we'll be wearing smart smart shirts at that point. Uh,
1: I got to pick a better team. Then uh, yeah. I don't want to I don't want to get shocked over and over. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. Thank yeah. you guys. Awesome. Thank,
1: Thank you so guys. much.
2: It's right. been fun. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye.